This morning we're going to look at Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. But before we do, I'd really like for us to pray for our veterans and uh, thank the Lord for those who have served in the past. But also, let's pray for those who are serving right now. Would you join me as we pray together for them? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for America. We love our country. I thank you for how you have blessed it through the years. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy here. And we know that these freedoms were protected. They were cherished by generations before our generation. And uh, many of them had to uh, sacrifice. They had to go and defend the freedoms that we have. And some are here in this room. And so we wanted to come and say thank you. Thank you for those uh, men and women who have served in, in various branches of the military through the years. And uh, we know that they did it because they also love our country. And we love them and we appreciate all that they did. Lord, as we look over the list um, in our bulletin today, there are men and women serving right now. At one time, some of those on that list, they used to be over at the youth house. They were in the student ministry. They were in a children's ministry. They were in a Sunday school class. And now they're a grown man, a grown woman. And there they are. They're serving us by protecting our freedoms. Thank you for them. Would you be a shield about them and just guide them in all that they do? Uh, thank you so much, not only for each, each one of them, but thank you for their families because it is a sacrifice for them also. So just bless them, God. I pray that on Wednesday especially, they would know that they are serving a grateful nation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I do hope that on Wednesday, you'll look for a veteran and tell them that you appreciate uh, all that they've done for our country. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. I appreciate so much, Evan, uh, reading the passage. Great job, man. Thank you. Uh, but we're going to look at this passage, and I believe that the context, in case uh, you haven't spent much time looking at this in particular, you know, in the previous chapter, not chapter 22, but chapter 21, if you look at verse 23, Matthew 21, 23, there was a question. And when Jesus gives this parable, he's answering a question. It says, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests... And the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so what Jesus is doing is he's giving three parables. Two of them are found just before what Evan read to us. If you look at verse 28 of chapter 21, you'll see a parable called the parable of the two sons. It's a parable of responsibility. One son, the father said, I want you to go and do this. He said, okay, I'll go, but he didn't do it. The other son, he didn't go, but later he felt bad. He changed his mind. Maybe today you come in here and you've not followed Christ yet. You've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. But today, God's gonna open your heart and you're gonna change your mind. It's up to each one of us. It's our personal responsibility. That's the message of the parable of the two sons. But there was another one that was right before what Evan read, and that's the parable of the tenants, the parable of the tenants. And this is not a parable so much of responsibility as it is a parable of retribution. So what if someone says, I'm gonna go my whole life 
and be on my own. And I'm not going to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm not going to trust in the cross or the resurrection or any of those things that the Bible says. What would happen? Well, you might want to look at the parable of the tenants because it definitely makes it clear the retribution that is out there someday because people simply refuse. They say, I don't need Jesus. But as we move into this third in a trilogy of parables, when Jesus is answering the question, in Matthew 22, 1 through 14, now we're coming to a royal wedding, a royal wedding. And the message here is not so much responsibility of retribution, but the the message is going to focus on rejection, rejection. You know, it's just a reality that so many people in life reject Jesus Christ. Some accept him. And so in this passage, you're going to basically see two groups of people. One group accepts the invitation. The other group rejects the invitation. Which group would you be a part of today? You know, uh, it's also interesting how as we start in Matthew 22, verse 1, we're going to be talking about an invitation that God extended to the Hebrew nation, to the Hebrew race, all right, to the Jews. But before this parable ends, you know what he's going to do? God is going to say, I'm going to extend that same invitation to the human race. Every one of you here, every person in the United States, every person around the world. Can you imagine God having an open invitation and saying, I want to invite you to a royal wedding? I don't know if you were on the guest list or not back in May of 2018. There was a royal wedding. Do you remember? Were you invited to the wedding of Prince Harry of Wales to Miss uh, Meghan Markle? I wasn't on the guest list. Perhaps you were. If you were, I can't imagine how beautiful the ceremony was, how elaborate it would have been in St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. I'm told that there were 600 people who attended. So I leave open the possibility, maybe you were there. If you were there, I'd love to find out what did they serve at those two receptions? I mean, after the ceremony was over, they didn't get enough at one reception. They actually had two. So there was a double reception. I'm thinking, what kind of food would have been there? Well, just think about it for a moment on how elaborate and how royal it all was. Would anybody, would anybody have declined that if you were invited? And yet I'm telling you, there's a wedding that outranks that one. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the head of the church is saying, I'm inviting you to this incredible wedding feast that's going to be out there in the future someday. You know, one of the Bible scholars, Warren Worsby, gave an outline of the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what he said. Chapters 1 through 10, that's the revelation of the king. Remember when the wise men came and said, where has the king of the Jews been born? But then when you get to chapter 11, you begin to realize some are rebelling against this king. Matthew uh, 11 through 13. So when uh, John the Baptist was uh, put to death in chapter 14 through 20, There's a retirement of the king. Jesus begins to withdraw just a bit and to uh, spend a lot of time with the disciples. And now when you get to chapter 21, 22, all the way to 27, you see the rejection of the king. You know, some Bible scholars believe that what Evan read to us earlier is actually like the, the history of salvation in a summary form. It's like one succinct package that says this is what God has been doing. For a long, long time, 
God's been reaching out his hand, extending an invitation to each one of you. So I want to encourage you to listen closely as we go through this passage and ask God, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me? Let's go to the Father in prayer, and then we're going to look at the very first point. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you didn't leave anyone in this room out, that everybody, it is not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, Father, I pray that today, through these words, as we look at them together, that, Lord, you would woo hearts and let them know that they are indeed invited, even with all of our brokenness, mine included. Lord, we're, we're just so needy for salvation. And you said, you're invited. All you got to do is come. And so speak to us this day what we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at it together. Would you look at the very first couple of verses? Right off the top, Matthew gives us a textual note. There's something he wants to make clear right at the beginning. And what he wants to make clear is this is a parable. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, it says. You know, a parable was something that we could understand as humans. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so the first thing I want you to know is Jesus is going to break it down so that all of us in this room can understand it, so that we all know. So he's going to make a comparison. This will be an illustration or an analogy that will compare God's kingdom to a wedding feast. You ever been to a wedding? You ever been to a reception after the wedding? Well, Jesus is going to use that picture in our minds that he could explain some things about salvation and the way he's been reaching out to all of us. You know, not every parable is what they call an allegory, but this one is. There are so many different things that represent other, other things. And so if you don't understand what he's talking about, you're not going to know the purpose of the parable. So let me briefly go over the key before we go through this parable. The first one is there's a king here. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast. Who's the king? The heavenly father. Of course, the father is the king. But then he's giving the feast for his son. Who is the king's son? Oh, that's easy. Jesus. That's Jesus. Well, the wedding feast itself, let's say it represents salvation. How you get into the blessings of enjoying the kingdom of God. Then there are these servants who are going to be sent out by the king. And the servants are going to say, you're invited. Who were those servants? Well, at first, the first group of servants, I believe, represent Old Testament prophets. And then after the Old Testament prophets, we're going to see uh, not only were Jews invited, but later they're going to open it up even larger so that as many as can. And so Gentiles, you know, Gentiles means you. It means me. If you're not Jewish, maybe you are Jewish. But if you're not Jewish, then you are also invited. So that's the great message of this whole thing. And so we're going to look through this as we go through it together. So that's the illustration of salvation from verses 1 and 2. But I want to move on to the invitation. That's what the message is all about today. The invitation to salvation or the invitation of salvation. You know, if you were invited to a wedding, that would be happy, wouldn't it? But not only is it happy, a wedding, but a wedding is something more. If you receive an invitation, you know what it's saying? It's saying, you're important to me. 
I want you to be there at this incredible celebration that we're having in our family. Can you, can you imagine God, the Lord God, the Almighty, his son being given this incredible wedding feast and you and I are invited to this incredible wedding that's put on by the king. But at the beginning, because he's talking about the Jews, remember that's who asked the question, who gave you this authority and so forth. So he's talking to the Jews. And so verse three, he says, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. They were invited to the wedding feast. So the Jewish people were chosen. They were selected. All you've got to do is read through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, either one. And you'll see the Jews were so important. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 32, verses 9 and 10, and Zechariah 2, 8, you know what God compares the Jewish race to? The apple of his eye, the pupil. You know, the pupil is where light comes through the pupil, and it helps us to have vision. You know, I believe that light came to us through the scriptures, through the Jewish people, and now we can see what God wants us to see in terms of the gospel message that came through his son. But just think about how right now on our planet, there are about 4 billion people. And God would say to all of them now, you're all invited. But at this time, where we are in this parable and where God was in the Old Testament in his invitation, at that time, he was saying, I'm just inviting the Jews to respond to this. And so I thought it was so incredible that now we have 4 billion on our planet and only 14 million of them are Jews. So a small race, but very special and significant to God. Think, think about those servants who were sent to tell the Jews that they were chosen, that they were selected. Think about how important that would be. 21 prophets. I found there's Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, uh, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Man, looking for any names for babies, just go right there. You got it. 21 prophets, all kind of serpents were sent over and over again. And I'll tell you why they were sent because of the third point that I want to bring out today. Look with me at verse four. Again, he sent out, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast, just come to the wedding feast. And so I thought to myself, there's the preparation of salvation. You know, I love the hint of the father's patience that's found at the beginning of verse four. It says at the beginning of verse four, again, he sent other servants saying, you see at first some were hesitant. Maybe you've been hesitant all your life. You've never wanted to become a Christian. You've never chosen to follow Christ. But you know what? Just like that song that the students and the children sang, he is so reckless. He will keep fighting for you. He will keep pursuing you. He wants you to genuinely be in his family. He wants you to have your sins forgiven. He wants you to be with him in heaven. And so it says simply these words, again, he sent other servants. How many, time, how many times has God reached out to you 
through mom, dad, grandfather, grandmother, Sunday school teacher, deacon, maybe an evangelist, maybe a pastor. Somebody has said to you over and over again, don't you know you're welcome in salvation? Well, whenever I say that the preparation was all done, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. I'm not talking about what's served at this meal, even though that's definitely where we are in the parable, right? But I think it's a beautiful picture, get this, of grace. Isn't it a picture of grace? Because what God is saying is, look, I've provided. I've already prepared everything. Look, I'm giving. I'm not charging you to come to salvation. I'm giving this to you. And I'm thinking, well, what an incredible thing when God says, everything is ready. Everything is ready. All you've got to do is come to Christ. Come to the wedding feast. You know, um, Isaiah preached a powerful message a long time ago that had basically the same theme. Maybe you've never hung out in Isaiah before. So I want to read three verses from Isaiah 55. If you're not familiar with the scripture, just stay where you are. We're going right back to Matthew 22. But if you want to go there, Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Isaiah, the prophet, is declaring how wonderful it was that the Jewish people were being invited. Here's what he says. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. You see the same verb, right? Come. There it is twice. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, you come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You see what God's doing? He's just simply saying to them over and over again, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be with me in heaven. So how wonderful it was that God said, it's not going to cost you anything. It costs me a lot to get this ready. And that's why he's saying, I've got it all ready. All you have to do is come. Well, unfortunately, although the father prepares a way of salvation and graciously extends an invitation, like I stated earlier, the sad reality is some people say, I'm not interested. And some do that Sunday after Sunday, maybe day after day, week after week. People have opportunities, but they still say, I'm not going to come. Isn't that exactly what it says here in verse three? And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. They would not come. They would not come. Hmm. Wow. Israel was chosen. Israel was on God's guest list. He invited them over and over again. He loved them. He welcomed them. He blessed them. And yet I'm telling you, scripture is so clear. They rejected him. They resisted him. They rebelled against him. They refused him. But sometimes people would say, no, I'm not going to decline that wonderful invitation. Remember Joshua in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15? He said to his generation, look, you can choose what you want to choose. But as for me and my, my uh, family, we're going to serve the Lord. 
What about you and your house? Are you going to serve the Lord? Are you going to follow him? You know, after Joshua died, it says another generation rose up. And uh, Judges, Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says something about that generation. It said that they did not know the Lord. And so how sad it was that now, after Joshua's generation had all passed away, there rose up a new generation. They said, we don't know God. And we're really not interested in serving God. As a matter of fact, Judges chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 says they abandoned the Lord. But when you abandon the Lord, there are consequences. And so for abandoning the Lord, it says that God's hand, rather than blessing them, God's hand was against them. And so how sad would that be? But, you know, I thought when I was looking at verse 3 of Matthew 22, verse 5 and verse 6, I saw different forms that the declination or the declining of an invitation can take. Let's look at those briefly. For example, look at verse three. It says, but they would not come. You know, I see that as being an example of someone using their will and saying, I choose not to. So there's insubordination. That's one type, but that's not the only type. You drop down into verse five and it says, but they paid no attention. That's one way some people choose to respond to the invitation of the gospel is just indifference. You know what? I, I'm not going to speak out against it. I'm just not going to follow it. I'm just going to ignore it. And so some people choose to be indifferent. But what we don't realize is that is a response. That's a no whenever we're indifferent. And then others are saying, you know what? I'm really busy in my life. I got a lot going. I don't really have time to go to church. I don't have time to follow Christ. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to get involved in kids' ministries, student ministries, outreach ministries, music ministry. I don't have time for all that. Why? Well, see, I've got a farm. Well, see, I've got a business. And so let's just say that reason would be industry. Industry. That's another form of saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm not going to do it. But there's also internment or incarceration where it says, He kept on sending people, and so finally they got really irritated. And they said, you know what? You're going to go in jail now, so we're going to put you in jail because they said, it says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, and while the rest seized his servants, they seized them. And they said, okay, we're going to stop you from spreading that message and inviting others. They insulted them. They treated them shamefully. They injured them. They even killed some. Think about John the Baptist. Did that really happen? Oh, yes, it did. You see, it's more than just a parable. The parable is just so we can connect, so we can understand. And so all of these things, God is loving. God is patient. God is merciful. God is forgiving. Okay? But that's not, if you reject his invitations, there's something else about the character of God. God's holy. God is just. God does what is right. And so whenever we say, I don't need Jesus, then guess what happens? Then we face the consequences. 2 Chronicles 36 verses 15 and 16 talks about how God sent his servants persistently over and over again. And Israel kept on rejecting. And so you know what happened? At the end of 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 16, it says, until there was no remedy. There was no remedy. Isn't that a sad thing for God to say, you know what? This can't be fixed. 
And so that's exactly where they were because they didn't choose the solution. He gave the solution, but they didn't want the solution. So it takes us back to what happens next in salvation history. So the Jews have finally said, we're not interested. So what did God do? Well, God says, you know what? We're going to find those that are interested. And so we move to verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 in Matthew 22. And we're going to consider woven into the fabric of this parable what I would call the evangelization. The evangelization regarding salvation. This is where it gets good because this is where it starts including us. Us, you, this morning. You know, there's accountability, like I said, for those who do not reply to a yes to the Lord's invitation. Talks about burning their city and these murderers being put to death. They had put to death his son. But then it says, realize there is no accessibility to God without the gospel. There's no, you see, here's what he says. Then the king said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. They weren't worthy. Why are they not worthy? Nobody's worthy. Well, the reason is they rejected the only way in. There was only one way in. Acts chapter four and verse 12 says, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than the one that is given, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so people have to understand how serious it is whenever they say, I don't believe I'm going to go through Christ. If we say that, there's no other accessibility into God's family. But there's also something wonderful that happens beginning in verse 9, announcing the gospel. Announcing the gospel because the king doesn't let it stop what he's doing. The king says in verse 9, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. I love that. He's saying, I want you to go out there and find anybody, whoever is willing to come, whoever is open to receive the invitation. I want you to go and I want you to invite them. Go where the people are. Go to the main roads. And then I love how he ends it up again here in verse 10 and says, And those servants went out into the roads and they gathered all whom they found. Here's something, both good and bad, bad and good. So the wedding feast, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Why does it say he gathered, they, all these guys gathered the bad and the good. Those that are morally bad, those that are morally good. Because you know what? None of us. All is sin and falls short of the glory of God. So really, it doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you're a bad person. We all still need Christ. So I'm just thinking, wow, Lord, your, your gospel is so adequate because it depends on what you prepared, not on what we've done. You know, really, if you think about it, I love the song that I think it's Zach Williams says, you are my rescue story. You see, salvation is not about reward. You and I, even, even being a pastor, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to be in God's family because I serve for him. No. No, he rescued me. He rescued me. See, salvation is a rescue story. It's not a reward story. It's not that you've done so much that God owes you. No. 
No, we owe him. And that's why out of gratitude, I serve him with everything I can, with the very best that I have, because I want to, I want to honor him. Which brings me to one last thing. The sixth and final truth about salvation that's found in this parable is sort of at the end. If you miss it, you might miss the main thing for today, the personalization of salvation. You see, Jacob Tice left this week to go to Osaka, Japan. He's taking the gospel to the people of Japan, right? Well, in a way, but in another way, he's not taking the gospel to the people of Japan. He's taking the gospel to the people of Osaka. But Osaka is a really big city. And so we'll pray with Jacob as he kind of walks it down. And there's going to come a day when Jacob will say, will you pray for this man, for this, this woman? Will you pray for this student, for this child? Because it all comes down not to the Hebrew race, remember? Not to the human race. Oh, you're, the whole human race is invited. But it comes down to one face of one man. When in the parable, Jesus wove it in there and says, you know what? The king went in and he's looking and he's greeting all the guests seated at the feast. And then all of a sudden he sees something. And what did he see? He saw there one man. He sees in this congregation today that's assembled together, maybe one man, one woman, one boy, one girl, one student. He saw there a man who had no wedding garment and he said to him, friend, I love that. You see, God's still saying, like, like the song said, even when we're enemies, he is still pursuing us. So he still says to the man, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You know why he was speechless? John Phillips says in his commentary that kings back then in ancient times, they were responsible because they had such wealth. They would provide the garment that people would wear when they came to a wedding. And so it wasn't that this man would say, well, I didn't have anything better to wear. No, you see, there was, he was speechless because there was no excuse. He was speechless because what does the wedding garment stand for? The righteousness of Christ. The wedding garment stands for Christ's righteousness. See, if you wanna to try to show up before God with your own righteousness, He's going to say, friend, how did you get in here? You don't deserve to be here without the righteousness of my son. You know, there's a passage that once again, Isaiah was preaching a long time ago. I want to read this to you from Isaiah 61. You won't believe it. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see, God doesn't expect you to earn his favor. God doesn't expect you to earn his love and earn it. No, he's got a robe hanging there for you. It's all in Christ. And so what you do is you say, Lord, I can't do it by myself. And he says, I know. That's why I've provided. I've already got the supper already. I've already provided the garments. So I wanna just encourage you as we come to the conclusion of this message, please don't write this parable off as just an interesting little story from the past. And the reason I don't want you to do that is because Jesus is telling the way to salvation in this parable, but also there's something more you need to know. 
It's found over in Revelation. This is not something from the past. This is something that we haven't gone to yet. And it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you want to read about it, you can read about it in Revelation 19, 6 through 10. But do you know that we're coming up on a Thanksgiving feast, right, as a church family? Can you imagine what the feast will be like when we all get to heaven? What would the tables be like? What would it be like to be there with Jesus, to be in heaven where there's no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more sin? Well, it says here, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Wow. You know what it's saying? It's saying that everybody who's invited to that wedding feast, they're blessed. But you have to respond to the invitation, right? Have you ever received an invitation to a wedding, but you turned it down, you declined it? Oh, people do that all the time. That's why on most wedding invitations, you'll see at the bottom, RSVP. Répondez, s'il vous plaît. I bet you didn't know I could do that. I spent all week working on that. You better be a prep. It means respond if you please. Respond if you please. Do you know where that began? I found it interesting that way back in 1825, there was a little booklet that was written to women. And the booklet was trying to teach them kind of refinery and manners and all these kind of things. But what I thought was really interesting was when that word RSVP was used, it said when a lady is hosting a ball, a ball at her house, when she's hosting a ball, she needs to give people six weeks notice. Give them six weeks notice and put an RSVP. Respond, if you please. What will happen six weeks from now? Where will you be? Do you know for sure? Do you know for certain that you will go to heaven when you die? Oh, you can. You see, all you have to do is accept the invitation. So let's stand together. I'm going to wait down front here. And if you feel that God is speaking to your heart, please come. I'd love to talk with you. We're going to have Josh and the uh, kids to come back and lead us in worship. But as we sing this last song, man, just say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your time. It's an invitation time, not, not from me. This is really me extending it on your behalf, just like those servants in this parable. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here and perhaps they've never said yes, not yet anyway, but today they realize that they're invited. No joke. They really are invited. You want them so badly to be in your family, to be in heaven. So don't let them miss it, God. Lord, I pray they would say yes to salvation because your word does say now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. So, Lord, we look forward to what you'll do during this time of invitation. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.